0: If someone who reads the book gets inspired to consider a career in journalism or to think, what I want people to think is that, yeah, I could do that, and it would be fun, and it would be meaningful.
1: A few weeks back, we talked to a young journalist at the start of her career. This week, we talked to someone about the ups and downs of his long career as a journalist and foreign correspondent. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Peter Kublin is the former Washington Bureau chief for the E.W. Scripps Company. He's a longtime journalist, foreign correspondent, and author who recently penned his career memoir, Finding the News, Adventures of a Young Reporter. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for, again for coming on the podcast. Usually when I bring a guest on, I'll ask them to sort of tell us their journalist journey, about how they became a journalist and, and sort of their career. But I think our whole conversation here is going to be really kind of about that, because we're going to be talking about the book you just wrote. So to start with, how did you become a journalist?
0: By accident, really. Journalism is in our family and that my grandparents, my mom's parents were both reporters. But I, I went to college, studied political science. I was sort of vaguely interested in journalism, but not sure that I wanted to do it. I was more interested in politics really and I wanted to change the world, not write about it.
1: And the funny thing is 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 many journalists can actually change the world by the work we do, but go on.
0: Well that was the thing that I learned. I thought it was different, but I realized that the most important best way that I could change the world that also suited my personality was to write about it fairly and accurately. But I had been out of school for about a year and was working as a carpenter, house painter. I was working up in northern Michigan. I met a guy who was building a summer home up there. He was much older than I was, and we used to talk about politics a lot, argue about politics, really. He was, in my mind at the time, he was a right-wing nut, and he thought I was a lefty idiot, but we had really great, lively discussions about politics. It turned out that he was the publisher of the Chicago Tribune, and which was a newspaper that I grew up reading, but never thought about working there because mostly because it was so conservative to me at the time. He said, you, the things that you're interested in, the things that you like to talk about, that's what journalism is all about. If if you want to give it a try, I could open a door for you. And at the time, I had no idea what a big thing that was, but it was really luck that I met him and it was uh, kindness and generosity on his part to take a chance on me because there were plenty of people begging for journalism jobs. And here he is trying to convince me to do it. So I went down to Chicago, cut my hair, bought my first suit, and started as a real reporter at the City News Bureau of Chicago, which was owned by the Tribune and the Sun-Times at that point.
1: So looking back after all these years, after a really long career in journalism, what do you think of that young Peter Copeland as a journalist?
0: I had the curiosity that makes a journalist good. I lacked the experience, but I went into an environment at City News where it was basically an apprenticeship in journalism. On the very first day, I didn't write anything. I would call the facts into a rewrite. And then gradually, they let me write my own story. And then they taught me how to edit a story and how to cover bigger more enterprise-oriented story. So step-by-step, step, someone more senior than I was led me by the hand. And that was uh, lucky for me because I really didn't have any experience.
1: And, you know, looking at, at your book and some of the people who left comments on it or who had put comments on the uh, on the cover, talked about you as being somebody who, you know, as a mentor to them or had offered advice to them in their journalism career. So did, did you sort of find yourself later in life in a reverse situation where you were the the veteran reporter helping out other people who were just learning how to do things?
0: I was fortunate that way in that I when I became a bureau chief especially I got to hire people and bring in interns and I I did try to make myself available and try to teach them. You know how it is though, with young people, they don't always listen to older people, and me included. But I've always tried to make myself available and still I I was up in New York recently talking to college journalists about the profession and also about how to break in how I got started but how they might get started now because the career paths are so different
1: i'm going to talk about that a little bit later but since we have kind of sort of stumbled into it let's sort of talk about that i mean journalism journalism has changed quite a lot in the last 20 years the last 10 years the structure i mean there used to be you know i came into journalism in the early 80s you know about the same time that you did and there was a structure there was a, a path That was pretty common that everybody kind of took that you started out at the local paper, you worked your way up, you know, you got bigger assignments, you maybe a columnist, you went to a larger paper. And all along, you had people who were, you know, older, more experienced, giving you guidance, challenging you to improve yourself and to be better. But a lot of that structure is no longer there. What are your thoughts about that?
0: I always tell people that you have to separate out the business of news and the craft of journalism. The craft of journalism hasn't really changed that much in that the values that I talk about in the book speed, accuracy and fairness, that's what I was taught 40 years ago. That's what I would teach young journalists now. That so the values are intact. The difference really is the business of news. And so I worked for the same company Scripps for 33 years and I only had two jobs in my whole career. That is not likely to happen anymore for people starting today. The exciting thing is that the possibilities are endless, really. And you're going to move around a lot. Each time you move with luck, you'll move up and not laterally or move back. That you'll move up in responsibility and authority and pay and benefits And you'll use that as a sort of zigzag ladder up, whereas people, like you said, in our generation, we kind of went in a more straight line. Although I'll tell you, looking back on my career and on your career, it looks like a straight line, but I'm sure you experienced that the the way I did in that it didn't seem like a straight line at the time. When you were trying to make that next step, you didn't know where to go or what to do or who to ask it it all seems sort of um, impossible to figure out when you're in it. It's only in hindsight that it looks like a linear path so i I tell people also that you'll probably if you're starting now, you'll probably at some point in your career work for a news organization that doesn't even exist now, and you could be the one who starts that news organization
1: you know i I recently was was out of work and had to to spruce up my resume. And, and once again was surprised that I had a really strange path to the, the place that I was. And I had a few people comment on, you've got a really interesting resume. You you've kind of done a lot of different things. Some of those were conscious decisions. Some of them weren't. And actually I think the ones that weren't, the, the, the turned out to be the better ones as far as life experience goes. But, you know, I, I, I do talk to, to young journalists sometimes, um, you know, the one of, in my last job when I was in an office, we would get, you know, people right out of college and you know, people who are coming in off of internships and, you know, they were getting discouraged, you know, a lot that, you know, the being able to get a job that with which they could, you know, do what they'd been trained to do that they could live on. But uh, so what is it you, you tell young people who get, uh, to keep them from getting discouraged?
0: I was talking just the other day with a young man named Vignesh Ramachandran, who was an intern at Scripps. And he's still in his 20s. But I asked him about his startup and he said that he did seven internships before he got a full-time job. Wow. And that would be really discouraging and difficult because it's just like starting over each time. So one really good piece of advice he gave me was don't get discouraged about it because you can bounce from internship to internship and it will, as it did in his case, lead to a full-time job. But he said one thing that he learned was that as he went from one internship to the next, there was usually a person that he knew or he had somehow connected with in his work who guided his resume and his application through the process. So he wasn't blindly applying to things. He was at every job he had, every internship he had, he was building a network inside that organization, but also outside the organization. With other journalists. And so he would leapfrog using like he would reach out, but then he would be pulled in also by someone that he had met. So he was emphasizing to me the importance of networking, which in my case was always important that I, I mean, I got my very first job because of I knew the publisher of the Chicago Tribune. And that is still the case that if you can meet people, the more you can connect, the more internships you do, the the better shot he'll have. But it's not going to be easy. And and honestly, if you over your summer vacation, you designed an algorithm that Amazon is using now, I would do that. But if you wake up every day, all you can think about is the news. You can't wait to go out and cover stories, then you should do it because it's difficult to imagine how your career is going to evolve, but you should pursue it. And Uh, If it doesn't work, you might have to switch. Many journalists have gone into PR or law or business or government. There there are many fields that journalism prepares you for, even if you don't end up spending your entire career there.
1: And that's one of the funny things that some of the people that I know and that I've talked to about their journalism careers, that the things they end up in, the things that give them the greatest reward, aren't always the things that they pursued i'm doing this job because this is a stopgap to whatever but then they discover that this is actually something that's using their skills that's meeting their emotional professional needs and sometimes they feel bad about it but the other time you know getting three square meals a day and uh you know being able to do the stuff that you've been trained to do and and getting reward out of it i mean there's, there's a lot to be said for that the other thing you said that got me thinking You know, part of becoming a journalist at the very beginning is it's about maturation. And when we talk a lot about the skills and about learning how to do a deadline and how to, you know, contact sources and do lots of different types of complex things to write and to tell a story, to report a story. But, you know, sort of what you were saying about networking, I mean, that's part of that is maturation. I mean, sometimes you get into a situation like in an office where, you know, the temptation is to be emotional or the temptation is to you know, beat yourself up or to blame somebody else. And, and really kind of, you need to sort of get a hold of yourself and recognize that, you know, you're an adult now, you're in an office situation, you're going to get a lot further working hard and working well with other people because you never know what this situation will be. Maybe the whole office is going to (laughs) be laid off and you're going to have to go find a job and it, and it's helpful if you've got other people that you've stayed in contact with. Uh, It's kind of been my experience.
0: Yes, that's a great point. And the fun thing about journalism is you could be answering the phones. That could be your job that your job is to answer the phone in the newsroom. The editor comes out. There's nobody in the newsroom except you answering the phones, but the editor knows that you've done a good job answering the phones and all of a sudden there's a car crash. It needs to be covered. Go. And then you become a reporter. You do well at that. And then uh, you get another opportunity because you did good and did well in whatever you were supposed to be doing. So you're right. You just have to perform well and hope that you're recognized.
1: Kind of what would people say about luck? You know, there are people who, you know, who have great opportunities that come to them out of luck. But part of that formula is being prepared for when that lucky circumstance comes that you're ready to step into whatever that particular role is.
0: A person who I worked with who was Started as the receptionist at Scripps, and she had never studied journalism. I liked her, and I liked her work ethic. And I said one time, I said, "Sheila, what do you want to do?" I think that you're underqualified as, a, or overqualified to be a receptionist. And she said, "I want to do whatever you can teach me to do." And she became a photo editor, and a great one. So, I mean, that to me was an example of somebody stepping up and making an opportunity for herself.
1: But the other thing is the other side of that is, you know, having a manager who's willing to see those things and open to somebody who's eager and willing to do something. You know, that, that's the thing I always think about. when I was a freelancer, I, it was always about you identify what the, what, what does that editor need? Because every editor has a need for something. And if you can figure out what that is you can pitch them a story or you can go you know go cover something that they need somebody to cover that's an opportunity for you to work but let, let's talk a little bit more specifically about some of the experience that you had in your life you now I, I'm reading your book i have I've got a you know I got about a, a third of the way through I mean you start in Chicago you end up in is it New mexico
0: mexico mexico City Mex- or El Paso, and you end up in mexico first I, I, yeah, right.
1: Texas first, then Mexico the City, and then Mexico city. on the border. And then you're then suddenly you're the you're the guy covering Latin America for uh, this is this Scripps or is, who
0: is this? Yes, yeah,
1: yes for Scripps. So tell me about that experience. Just sort of like you know diving in. You know, I was still a relatively new reporter. You're still learning a, a lot of things, but you know, hey, go move to a, a foreign city and cover Latin America. What is that like?
0: The great thing about living in El Paso is that you can kind of stick your toe in to foreign reporting by just crossing over to Ciudad Juarez, which is the the sister city really right across the border from El Paso. And when I was working in El Paso, I didn't speak very much Spanish, but I knew I was interested in Mexico and the border. So I started taking classes at night and speaking Spanish as much as I could. And the great thing about El Paso is you can go The entire day without speaking English, if you, if you want to. So I I tried doing that and I got better and better. And then I would go over to Juarez and I would find stories and come back and report them. But again, I got a lot of help. There was a story I heard about, about a dust up over a film crew in Juarez. They were doing the second one of the Conan movies, the Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer (laughs) series with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They were shooting that in Juarez. And something happened where everybody in Mexico was all upset and they were trying to kick the entire crew out of the country. And so I went over with a photographer from the paper, Ruben Ramirez, who had born in Juarez and grown up in El Paso. He was older than I am, more experienced. So he he drove us over, we went and we met this reporter from one of the Juarez newspapers who was at the center of this big drama. And I asked to talk to her. She said, yes. And Ruben was sort of shooting pictures in the background. He was letting us talk and he was moving around taking her photo. And she told me that she wanted to take a picture of the film crew. So they were all relaxing at this hotel and they were sitting around the pool. She went over and started taking pictures. They said, stop taking pictures. And she said, I'm just doing my job. And they said, we don't want you to do your job right now. We're trying to relax. There was this kind of standoff. One of them grabbed her camera, took out the film and gave it to her, gave her the camera back, but he kept the film. And this, it seemed like, yes, that was a bad thing, but I couldn't understand really why everyone was so upset about it. I mean, he gave her the camera back. He was more or less polite about it, but I wrote it up and Ruben and I were driving back to El Paso and I was going to, I had to get the story into the, I had just maybe 30 minutes to write the story before the next deadline. And Ruben goes, I can't believe that dude mooned that chick. I said, what? And he goes, yeah. He pulled on his trunks and mooned her. He said, I can't believe that. And he's looking at my face and he says, you didn't get that? I missed it completely. She was speaking in in Spanish in a lot of euphemisms. I thought that I understood what she was saying, but I missed the main thing. And then I understood After Ruben told me that this this guy who was in his swim trunks, he turned around, dropped his trunks, and mooned her. And it was disgusting and vulgar. And he was being more than a jerk. And I understood then why everybody was so upset about it. But Ruben saved me that day. And I, I felt bad. I really, now looking back on it, I should have put his byline on the story instead of mine. But he never said a word about it and protected me. And I eventually convinced my bosses to send me to Mexico city. And I, I did become better at Spanish, but I was not in the beginning.
1: And that's a perfect example of uh, like detail, detail reporting is about details that right detail unlocks everything about that story. But, you know, it's also about what are your deficiencies? You know, how are you going to learn how to speak Spanish better? Now you've gone, you've been a fourth correspondent at a number of different places. uh, One of which was Somalia, Tell me about that experience. It seems like a a pretty challenging opportunity.
0: At that point, 1992, I had been a reporter for 12 years. I had covered stories in 30 countries around the world on five continents. So I was pretty experienced. And I thought I had seen a lot of difficult situations. I had been in wars, coups, earthquakes, revolutions. But when I got to Somalia, so Somalia in 1992 had broken down completely. The government collapsed. Rival warlords were fighting it out in the streets. All of the violent prevented farmers from growing their crops and then harvesting them and distributing food. So people were starving. They were actually just dropping in the dirt and entire families and dying. It was the... Scariest, most awful thing I had ever witnessed. I went over with the Marines when the United States and other countries invaded to try to establish order. And I stuck, tried to stick very close to the Marines, but it was uh, the scariest place I had been as a reporter because I didn't know the players. I didn't speak the language and the entire society had broken down. So there really were no rules. This was right before the incident that's called Black Hawk Down and became the book and the movie happened. And so, and the movie is actually seems accurate about the way Somalia was at the time. The other complicating thing for me is that I, when I started as a reporter, I was younger and single. By this point I had gotten married and we had a baby and I missed her baptism and her first Christmas because I was in Somalia. That also made me more aware of the danger. A lot of things that I had done earlier in my career where I was running towards burning buildings or running towards gunfire seemed stupid at that point. And Somalia was so difficult for the Somali people. It was very difficult for the Marines that were there. It was difficult, less difficult for the journalists because I could always leave if I wanted to, but I felt like I had to stay because that was my job and my newspapers were counting on me. My audience was counting on me and I felt like I had a sense of responsibility. So I, I stuck it out, but it was difficult. And when I came back, I really didn't want to do that kind of reporting anymore. It was, it changed my career path.
1: So how do you put yourself in that headspace to go into that situation where you don't speak a language, where there is chaos all around you, and, you know, you have a family you maybe you'd rather be with, you have deadlines that you know you have to meet, you know, how do you, how do you get yourself into that headspace to function, I guess? As somebody who has not had that experience, I'm I'm curious.
0: I think that well, I mean one of the reasons that a lot of foreign correspondents are young is that you have a, more of a sense of being in, invincible when you're young. So that helped. Being an American at that point helped. Now there are some places where it's actually more dangerous to be an American because you could be a target. In those days, being a journalist helped because people in most places knew that we were not combatants that we didn't have a side even when the united states was involved in a conflict people gave journalists a pass. that also is not true now so it's much more different and i i never went to a place where journalists were targeted like they have been targeted in syria or iraq for example so to answer your question though it it just takes um some distance. You have to, you have to look at it like a job. This is what I'm going to do. There are a lot of practical things you can do though to make it better by, for example, getting practice and getting training, going out. If it's a combat situation, go out with the military before I had never served in the military, but I covered conflicts everywhere and I learned from the soldiers that I went along with. I went on training exercises, for example, before I ever actually went into combat. And I learned how to fire a weapon. So I would know how they worked. I I wasn't going to take a weapon when I was reporting, but I felt better knowing about how everything worked and how all the pieces fit together and why people did things the way they did. I learned basic first aid, tried to learn about communications because, uh, you're going to need to get the word back and you're going to need to let someone know if you're in trouble. So there are a lot of practical steps you can take to. Make it safer for yourself, but, and I think this is similar to people who are firefighters or police or soldiers. When the stuff starts happening, you go into this mode of your job and you do your job and you kind of block out a lot of the more human side. It's, it's when it's all over that it's scary. So you've
1: just written your book, this book that, that really kind of looks back at your, your career. First of all, what triggered you writing this book? What inspired you to write the book?
0: I retired a few years ago, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And my wife said, you're consuming more media now than you did when you were working. And I was just obsessively reading the newspapers, watching TV, and I thought I... I want to get back into it. I want to be involved with journalism, but I don't want to go back into the daily grind of it. So I just started remembering of the stories that I had told younger journalists and interns when they came. They always wanted to know, you know, how did you get started? How did you learn to do that? Or what was it like when you were in Colombia or Peru or in China? How did you get stories? And so I used to tell them about learning to be a reporter. And I felt that they could connect because they were at the start of their career. So I just sat down and started remembering the stories that I had covered. I have a big box of clips and I kept all my notebooks. I've also kept a journal since I was in college. And I tried to capture how I felt at the time, not not the old guy looking back on the young guy, but how the young guy felt at the time. And it was fun. I enjoy writing. I hadn't written in a long time because I had been a bureau chief, which is, in my case, was like a news bureaucrat. I I wrote reports and memos. I didn't write anything fun. So it was fun to get back into writing and being able to stretch out a little bit in a longer form. A book is, you know, a hundred thousand words. It's different than the 500 word stories I wrote or the tweets that I was writing at the end of my career so I, I really enjoyed the writing process
1: so going into writing a book you set up some you know goals and expectations and and sort of what you were saying before about going into wars on you there are certain things that are you automatically do you pull together all your pieces and, and you start sort of mapping things out so writing a book does not happen overnight you put a lot of effort into it. How did you feel at the end when you've written this memoir and you're looking back about the experience about writing about your life as a journalist? How did you feel?
0: Every time I go and talk to student journalists, I'll tell them about being a foreign correspondent or being a police reporter in Chicago or a bureau chief in Washington. And after I talk, there'll always be three or four students who hang around. And then they'll come over and say, you know. I'd like to be a foreign correspondent or I've always wanted to work in Russia or I, I want to be, uh, I want to do visual journalism or I want to do data reporting and investigative work. And to me, that's so rewarding. And that if I can touch one or two people each time I talk, or if, if someone who reads the book gets inspired to, to consider a career in journalism or to think, What I want people to think is that, yeah, I could do that and it would be fun and it would be meaningful. Well,
1: you've given me a lot to think about. The book is called Finding the News, Adventures of a Young Reporter. Peter, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Michael.
1: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.